This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome to Radio Free Canada, news, notes, and opinions from the underground for Friday, April the 8th in the year of our Lord, 2022. The U.S. Senate has uh, confirmed a woman, a black woman, to the Supreme Court who cannot define what a woman is. And yet President Joe Biden is insisting the first black woman has been appointed to the Supreme Court. If Ketanji Brown-Jackson can't define what a woman is, are we even certain she is a woman? Maybe she's simply the third black man to be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Imagine a Supreme Court justice who likes to give lenient sentences to pedophiles and who can't provide a definition of a woman. One of the most uh, infamous of the eight uh, cases in question with Ketanji Brown involves the 2013 sentencing of Wesley Hawkins. Wesley Hawkins was 18 when he was busted posting videos to YouTube of boys as young as 11 being raped by adult men. And Justice Jackson citing his young age, sentenced Hawkins to just three months in prison, as opposed to the 24 months recommended by prosecutors. In her decision, now Supreme Court Justice Jackson said, I am not persuaded that two years in prison is necessary. Citing Hawkins' quote, future potential. This is a truly difficult situation, she told Hawkins. I appreciate your families in the audience. 
I feel sorry for them and for you and for the anguish this has caused all of you. Excuse me? She, she feels bad for the pedophile and for the anguish that he's gone through. Explaining her lenient sentence for Hawkins, Jackson explained that the more than 600 images of child sexual abuse, quote, don't signal an especially heinous or egregious child pornography offense, end quote. But never mind that. She's the first black woman to sit on the Supreme Court, and apparently that's more important than all the rest. Her questionable judgments. She can't define what a woman is. But she was treated horribly. President Grampy Joe Biden wants you to know. They asked her about her LSAT scores, the horror. They interrupted her. My, oh my, the Democrats really have the memory of a gnat or a goldfish. Did they not recall how Democrat senators accused Justice Kavanaugh of being a rapist? With no credible evidence, zero Oh, well, that's, that's how it goes. Hey, looks like a uh, retractable roof or the retractable roof will be closed for tonight's Blue Jays home opener. I'm just looking outside the studio window here and it's, uh, it's raining. So it's sold out. So there will be what? Close to 40,000 fans. Many of them not wearing masks indoors. But Ontario Liberal leader Stephen Del Duca he wants to make masks mandatory in grocery stores, schools, and pharmacies. Now, you can pack into a baseball stadium with 40,000 other people and not wear a mask, but if you go to the Value Mart, he wants you to wear a mask. What a silly person. You know, I noticed he stopped wearing glasses, and I'm, I'm guessing that was the focus group. The focus group noted, uh, were telling his handlers... The glasses are not a good look, Stephen. I'd tell him to put the glasses back on. That, may, that way, maybe he could read. I don't know. A book or something. Or, or read some data. And then Stephen Del Duca wouldn't say silly things. Where or where do they find these people? How does someone like Stephen Del Duca end up leading a major political party? Do they not vet these people? Did no one else want the job? Is that how he got it? Did he win the leadership in a 50-50 a draw? You know, there's, just, there's so much nonsense going on in the world. I need a six-hour show to talk about it all. You want some more? How about this? Epoch Times reporting this. A Cleveland hospital is refusing to provide a nine-year-old... Uh, boy with a life-saving kidney transplant because his father refuses to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Dane Donaldson was the perfect donor match for his son Tanner, Tan, sorry, Tanner in 2018 before the onset of the pandemic. However, because transplanted kidneys from live donors only last for a limited period of around 20 years, the Donaldson family decided to delay the procedure. Four years later, the Cleveland Clinic Children's Hospital is refusing to perform the operation because Dane, the father, is unvaccinated. 
quote, individuals who are actively infected with COVID-19 have a much higher rate of complications during and after surgery, even if the infection is asymptomatic, the hospital stated. Donaldson, who works in the insurance industry, refused to get vaccinated for religious reasons, said said he has refused the jab because he has seen a large number of clients becoming critically ill following the jab. I asked, uh, quote, I asked them in that car accident victim, would you vaccinate him on the way to the hospital to rip his kidney out? And then, and they said, no. Donaldson said in an interview, a live donor is the best donor for kidneys, he added, but they'll take a kidney from a deceased person not vaccinated. It makes no sense. Donaldson said he promised to sign a waiver protecting the hospital from liability should either he or his son contract COVID, but the hospital has refused to perform the surgery. We continually strive to minimize risk to our living donors, and vaccination is an important component to ensure the safest approach and optimal outcomes for donors, said the hospital. Donaldson told the publication he has now been forced to look for another hospital to perform the procedure. He may be out of luck as many hospitals across the United States and other Western countries have adopted the no jab, no transplant policy. This is the mentality we're dealing with. The hospital administrators at the Cleveland Clinic Children's Hospital and elsewhere would rather that Tanner die waiting for a kidney than than he be allowed to receive a kidney from his father because of a ridiculous and unscientific policy. The people that make these rules and the people who follow these rules are participating in evil. And if you confront them with the science, with the data, they are unmoved. They simply repeat the rules. They repeat the mantra, get vaccinated. It's as if they have no soul. I I really, I don't know how else to explain it. All right, so it's Friday. It's not all doom and gloom. Greg Carrasco will be here in the second hour, the host of the Greg Carrasco Show. Not sure what we'll be talking about, but I'm, it's going to be highly energized and it's going to be fun because Greg's a fun guy. According to the Ontario government data, just two months, uh, t- uh, data, government data site, rather, just two months after uh, two and a half million Ontarians received a third dose of COVID-19. Boosted individuals, boosted individuals now have a higher infection and death rate than the unvaccinated. That's what I'm reading here. Is that true? Could it be true? I think Kelly Brown, uh, I I think that's what he's talking about today with with us. Uh, The accidental and unofficial COVID data analyst will be here to go over the data. Or maybe he's going to talk about all of these insurance companies that are report. Yes, that's what he's going to talk about. The uh, all of the excess deaths these insurance companies are talking about are reporting. Did you know the Secret Service is spending more than thirty thousand dollars every month renting out a Malibu mansion in California to protect President Biden's son Hunter? This is uh, according to a new report by ABC News. 30000 a month. Larry Clayman, the chairman of Freedom Watch and the author of It Takes a Revolution, will be here in hour two to discuss. The Lim Riddler will be here this hour with uh, this week's Lim Riddle Clues. You're pointing to yourself, Jacob. What do you mean? 
Oh. Oh, you're cheering. Oh, you're cheering for the Lim Riddler. Of course. We love the Lim Riddler. I thought you were you were giving me some direction there. Uh, anyway, one, one lucky winner will receive a pair of tickets to the Mississauga Steelheads' first home game of their conference quarterfinal playoff series. So be listening for your Lim Riddle clues just before the news at 5. The Sofa Cinephile is here to review the recently restored Blu-ray edition of Ben-Hur, the 1959 classic starring Charlton Heston. Uh, but coming up first... A very disturbing development, Justin Trudeau's government censorship panel has just ruled that Rebel News, one of this country's great independent news outlets. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Should be denied a government news license. Ezra Levant, the founder of Rebel News, is next. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Friday, April the 8th. Facta non verba. We're back as the Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. Uh, so last night, I was uh, watching the Leaf game and in between periods, I checked my Twitter feed and I saw this tweet from Ezra Levant, Rebel News Commander. Justin Trudeau's hand-picked government censorship panel has just declared that Rebel News journalists are not qualified to be news media. Basically, they will not be given a government news license. I've never even heard of a government news license. Ezra Levant joins us now. Hello, Ezra. Great to be here. Yeah, it's it's very strange. The license has a technical name. It's it's a laughable acronym. I mean, count on government to come up with al alphabet soup programs. This is called the QCJO, Canadian Qualified, sorry, Qualified Canadian Journalism Organization. Uh, so look at those words. Journalism, obviously, that's what Rebel News does. Organization, they define that as two or more reporters. All right, we've got dozens. Canadian, you bet, we're headquartered here in Canada. Most of our staff are Canadian. And the Q is qualified. And that's the wrinkle, because they said, you guys aren't real news. The government reviewed 276 of our articles, of our stories, of our reports, and said... Only 1% of what we do qualifies as news. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. We have published 40,000 news stories since we were born. 
you know, we're, it's all we talk about is news. We don't talk about the weather. We don't talk about sports. We're rebel news, not rebel sports. But the reason they said we're not qualified to be journalists is because if they gave us this QCJO license, if they gave us this status as official journalists, then that would give us certain rights, the right to attend press conference held by the government, the right to have our subscribers uh, use their subscription expenses at tax time as write-off, for example. So there are dozens, maybe even hundreds of qualified Canadian journalism organizations in Canada. Um, all the big ones, the Toronto Star, the National Post, the Globe and Mail, a lot of little ones. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Narwhal that's a, yes. Oh, yes. or the National Observer. And those are left-wing and they're environmentalists, and that's fine. But they're obviously in the news business. But as far as I know, Rebel News is the only news company being denied this. So why would they do that? When you get this journalism license, like I say, you can go to government press conferences. And we're, we're not allowed in. I think that alone is the reason they kept it so. There's another thing you get when you have this news license, this QCJO status. Um, you can request government bailout money. Now, we, we don't do that. That's not our style. No one would ever trust us again if we took government money. I don't know. You know, it's just it's just an independence choice. We would never do that. But I think and I don't think they're worried that we would ask for money. But like I say, people who subscribe to us, they can't use their receipt of tax time, whereas the subscriber to the Global Mail does. But here's what really scares me. This past week, Trudeau's heritage minister named Pablo Rodriguez introduced a new proposal that would force Google and YouTube and Facebook to deal with these licensed journalists differently than the unlicensed ones. First of all, it would force Google and Facebook to pay these QCJO licensed journalists money for every link they have. You link to the Toronto Star, you link to the CBC, Google and Facebook have to pay them money under this government proposed law. And I'm not sure if I would take government, uh, take money from Google and Facebook. I haven't really thought about it a lot, but here's the dark side of that. The liberals would force Google and Facebook to promote using their algorithms to promote the licensed journalists as opposed to the unlicensed journalists. So if you typed in Canadian news truckers into Google, a lot of people were interested in the truckers last month. Google and Facebook would be required under Trudeau's proposal to push you towards the, quote, qualified Canadian journalism organizations and away from the unqualified. It's really tantamount to saying we're fake news. We deserve different treatment under the Income Tax Act. We deserve no access to press conferences. And search engines should downrank us and promote our rivals. So when I say that that is tantamount to a journalism license, I'm not messing around. That's exactly what it is. And that's exactly why they denied it to us. Ezra Levant, Rebel News founder, host of The Ezra Levant Show, weekdays at 8 p.m. So who sits on, uh, well, I've just got about a little less than a minute here, but and then we'll come back and talk some more. But who sits on this censorship panel? Do we know who made this decision in cabinet? Uh, yeah, it was the Canada Revenue Agency. They delegated it to a special censorship panel chaired by someone I had never heard of before. Her name is Colette Brin. 
and she showed us a, a professor who no one voted for. She was handpicked by the liberals. So she knows what the boss wants. The boss hates rebel news. Trudeau hates rebel news. Colette Brin was chosen by Trudeau, and it's clear she has her marching orders. You cannot say that the Narwhal or the National Observer are, quote, real news, but rebel news is fake news. There's no principle, there's no formula that gets you a different answer for them than for us. They just hate us because the boss told them they hate us. Oh, clearly. It's driven by a personal vendetta. We'll uh, we'll take a quick time out, Ezra, and come back and discuss further. The, uh, the liberal cabal is trying to drive rebel news out of business. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Justin Trudeau's government censorship panel has just ruled that only 1% of what Rebel News publishes is news. 1% out of 40,000 news stories. And so Rebel News would be denied uh, what Ezra is calling a government news license. This is a qualified Canadian journalist organization uh, designation that would um, basically allow them to continue to function. Now, you have uh, a, a healthy... Uh, roster of subscribers. Um, I'm guessing, I'm hoping that most, if not all of them, will continue to support Rebel News, whether or not they get the uh, the tax uh, deduction. Uh, and they know where to find you online at rebelnews.com. Uh, so how concerned are you that losing this QCJO designation is going to, um, I don't know, cause you to cease operations or... Wouldn't say I'm at that point yet, because like you say, our people, you know, a, a tax credit, a tax time, it's a bonus, but that's not going to stop people from going to Rebel News. Uh, we have been banned from press conferences. That doesn't stop us from uh, doing our best to hold the government to account. And we, we aren't looking for government payoffs anyway. So you might say, well, what's, what's the fuss about then? Well, because the government's just getting started. First of all, I think we should be allowed access to government press conferences. We're taxpayers. The press conferences are for all media. Why should the government be able to choose um, which media are allowed to public government press conferences? The Liberal Party can have its own rules. Like if the Liberal Party has a party event, you know, they can keep me out. That's fine. But why should the government of Canada say we're simply not allowing certain journalists and who ask questions we don't like. I, I think that's wrong, but it's where things are going that scares me. When you start telling Facebook and Google down rank disqualified or unqualified news and up rank our friends, now you're getting into a form of censorship and it's a sneaky kind of censorship because you're sort of contracting it out to the big tech companies. And you know what? It's going to come a time when if they can say, quote, legally, you're not journalists, we have decided you are not journalists. So we are decided, I mean, when you, it's your, it's like unpersoning someone. What rights will they take away from us? Will they shut us down? Will they seize bank accounts? I know that's an insane thing. Well, it was un- <laughs> insane until last month right. when they started doing it to their political enemies with no due process. Will they and deny they- you a mortgage? Oh, that's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So what what this is, is 
cancel culture being applied to Canada's largest independent news site. Rebelnews.com has about 60 employees. We're not small. No, we're, we're nowhere near the size of CTV Global or things like that. But we, we are uncontrolled. And that's what bugs Trudeau. He can't count on us to cheer him along. And we're being successful, thank God, telling the other side of the story. And he's trying to chip away at that. He's already tried to ban us from things. Twice he's tried to ban us from the election debates, but the federal court has said, no, no, they're real journalists. Let them in. And that's 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 an interesting point, right? I mean, a federal judge has ruled you are a credible news organization. Two times now. In 2019, we went to court and won. The government spent two years trying to come up with a tricky formula that would keep us out, but no one else. The judge saw through that in 2020, ordered us to be accredited again. But here's the thing. I don't know if you remember. In the 2021 debate, we had the judge say, okay, 13 rebel news journalists are allowed to go. So a couple of them had a chance to put a question directly to Trudeau. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And instead of answering, he said, I will not answer you. You are not real journalists. So just hours after the federal court said we are real journalists, Trudeau basically said, I don't care what the law says. I don't care what the courts say. You're, you know, uh, I'm simply not going to treat you that way. He is a vendetta. He's not following the law. And here we go again, the third time in a row. So that's why we're suing. And I'd like to invite people. People are probably saying, were you really shut out for that reason? Did they really say only 1% of your work is, is real news? Yes. And you can see their rejection letter to us in full. We haven't redacted a single word. At a website we set up, and it's got a funny domain name, wearesuingtrudeau.com. If you go to wearesuingtrudeau.com, you can see their rejection letter and their insane reasons for pretending we're not real journalists. And then you can see our 16-page lawsuit that we filed literally yesterday And you can see our arguments in rebuttal. Let me throw one last thing at you. I know you're pressed for time, but one of the crazy reasons that they said we're not real journalists, and and you're not even going to believe this. you got to read it for yourself at wearesuingtrudeau.com. In their letter, they say, because we occasionally put in stories as as broken by the Daily Mail or in a scoop by Blacklocks, like we give credit to other media. All news news organizations do that. All news organizations. Yeah, it's good. It's good practice. It's good practice. It, it shows that you're giving credit. To, and, and you like give, getting credit for when you break a story. 
They actually said, I swear to God, you can see this at weirdsuingtrudeau.com. They said that when we do that, that's not real news on our part. We're just copying someone else's news. What? No, we're building on a story. We're giving them credit as a tip of the hat. They, I swear, they literally said that's proof we're not real journalists because we give credit to other journalists when we build on their work. They also said, and this is so weird, as you know, I do a, a lengthy show at night. It's about you know 45 minutes, sometimes an hour. But then we put out smaller clips because not everyone wants to watch a 45-minute show. So we might put out a three-minute clip. It's my show that we chop up and, and, and put. They said that's proof that you're just, for some weird reason, they say that process of making smaller clips of my big show shows we're not really doing journalism i don't even understand that but that's one of their arguments they have argument after argument that's so weird i've never heard of it before it's crazy to say you could say rebel news has strong opinions you could say rebel news is wrong you could say we're mean you could say we're bad people whatever but to say that what we do is not news is just such a strange to say that we're 99 not news I don't even, I just can't even believe it. And I just think it's laughable if it were funny, but a lot turns on it, uh, not just financially, but they are trying to destroy us. This is a building block. They say, right. uh-huh, they come after judged. you. Yeah. What's to stop them from saying uh, that you're not a real radio station and you're not a real television station and you're not a real newspaper. That This is, yeah. again, what, this is uh, straight out of the... Communist Chinese playbook, I'd say. Ezra, uh, give us the website again. Yeah, it's uh, wearesuingtrudeau.com because we are, because we're just we're just not going to let this pass. All right. Well, uh, Godspeed, and uh, we'll check in with you and see how that's going soon, I hope. Ezra, all the best. Thank you for this. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Six out of 10 provinces either cut their ICU beds or they failed to increase that number during the pandemic, despite billions more in federal transfers. That's according to government uh, documents. And Tom Korski, managing editor of Black Locks Reporter, is next with that story. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window 
open it and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. You had enough? You had enough of the nonsense? Again, six out of ten provinces either cut their ICU beds or they failed to increase them during COVID despite getting billions of dollars more in federal transfers. Here with more on that, Tom Korski, Managing Editor, Black Locks Reporter. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Richard. Six out of the ten. Which uh, Was Ontario one of the six? Which, which six were they? Uh, the four, uh, the four provinces that did what you would expect any province to do in the middle of a pandemic included Ontario, and Ontario increased its number of intensive care unit beds by 16% over the life of the pandemic, 16%. So did Saskatchewan, Alberta 11%, Manitoba, my home province, that's a poor province, increased their number of ICU beds 44%. Well, that was the job. That was the whole point, we were told. And yet six, as you mentioned, out of the 10, and these are federal figures tabled in the House of Commons, compiled by the Canadian Institute for Health Information, six out of 10 did nothing or actually made it worse. Wow. And how many billions did these provinces get in transfer payments? For, for I mean, were those, was there a, a sort of a mandate attached to those transfer payments? Here, take this money, create more ICU beds. No, because it was implicit. Everyone assumed if the warehouse is on fire and you got a, a check from Ottawa that you would spend the money on fire suppression, cabinet counts $3.2 billion. This is inexplicable, Richard, because, of course, everyone remembers this was why they, they cost 2 million jobs and damaged the economy. Had police going around issuing tickets to people playing in the park with their children. The whole point was, we were told there was a crisis in intensive care units. Don't overload the ICUs. Whatever you do, absorb whatever pain you must absorb. Almost bankrupted the Treasury. Richard, we outspent what Parliament spent in World War II on pandemic relief so that the ICU units wouldn't get overloaded. Well, of course, they were going to get overloaded if, for instance, you're in Prince Edward Island, they cut the number of ICU beds 70%. Whatever they did with the money, it wasn't on health care. And so if you're cutting the beds, the number of beds, isn't it it going to make it look the situation worse than it is when you say, well, ICU occupancy, you know, is going through the roof because of COVID? Yeah, that's because you cut 20% of your beds or whatever the number is. Absolutely. It was, it, that's exactly the point. And so you say, well, we're at full capacity. Well, of course you're at full capacity if your capacity was half-baked to begin with. Oh, hospital administrators have so much to answer for, Richard. It's not enough for them to gather their six-figure salaries and stare at their shoes. Can you imagine the inquiry we'll have after the end of this? Well, I hope so, because I know that um, a little bit later I'm going to speak with uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed out in Alberta, because... Uh, their chief medical officer of health, Dina Hinshaw, is on the hot seat. She's being grilled by a lawyer from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Uh, I would love to see uh, that repeated across the province with every chief medical health officer and every minister of health. Uh, uh, Alberta, they increased their beds, but 11%, so from 353 to 392 beds. I mean, 40 beds, I don't know how many billions Alberta received, but basically 40 beds they increased it. Uh, Ontario, 
just over 330 beds. They increased it. So that's a little bit better. Manitoba seems to, well, they take the prize. They increased the number of beds 44%, but still that's going only going from 86 to 124 beds. That's, that's right. It's not a lot. In a province of more than a million people. No, no, this is not impressive. This, we're not describing the healthcare system in Zimbabwe. We're describing it in a G7 country. We have one of the most expensive healthcare systems in the English-speaking world, Richard. And this is the best we could do. How sad is that? It is. It's pathetic. It's really pathetic. Well, it's all coming to the surface now. Thanks in large measure to the fine work you do, Tom, at Blacklocks. Thank you so much. Thank you kindly, Richard. Tom Korsky, Managing Editor, Blacklocks Reporter, Minding Ottawa's Business. Go to blacklocks.ca. Please support our independent media. All right. Coming up next, the Sofa Cinephile. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Conquer the land. You may slaughter the people. That is not the end. We will rise again. The day Rome falls, there will be a shout of freedom such as the world has never heard before. Ah, uh, there it is. It's that time of year, Easter season, and no Easter season is complete without a viewing of the 1959 American film classic, Ben-Hur, starring the great Charlton Heston. And uh, here was some good news. It's just been released. It's been fully restored and uh, released on Blu-ray. The uh, Sofa Cinephile, Jim Salas, passionate consumer of home theater technology and owner of the largest private collection of DVDs and Blu-ray discs in Ontario. Jim, welcome back. Richard, glad to be here. So, uh, what's the what's the latest on on this uh, re-release? Uh, this is on Blu-ray or well, the the available today is the 50th anniversary release, which came out in 2009. So they're working on a brand new 4K release which will likely be out in the next kind of 24 months uh, in time for the 65th anniversary of the film. Ah, So right. when they remastered this in uh, uh, 2009, they did an 8K scan, and it looks fantastic in Blu-ray. Absolutely glorious. It looks like it was shot yesterday. So I wouldn't wait for the 4K. If, if you're interested in the movie, I'd go grab it right now. So what is it that that makes Ben-Hur so special? Why do we watch it every Easter without fail? Well, first of all, it won 11 Academy Awards. Okay? And I personally think it's the greatest epic film ever made. Now, critics will put Lawrence of Arabia ahead of it, but I would beg to differ, you know, especially because of the incredible chariot race scene, which is one of the most memorable scenes, you know, ever filmed uh, in movie history. And, and what I admire most is, is the authenticity and audacity of its production. You know, today we're surrounded by fakery of all kinds, right? Yes. We've got fake news, fake food, fake body parts, even fake actors. They they brought poor Peter Cushing back from the dead, you know. Oh, for Star Wars. Star Wars right. 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 right, right, right. 
So CGI is taking over everything. And Ben-Hur is the complete antithesis to this. It was released in 1959, which was 10 years before the hand calculator was even invented. So there isn't a single computer-generated image on your screen. Right. All They built all of those sets, ancient Rome, the Colosseum, all of that. Richard, if you really understand what went into the production, you watch the film with a completely different point of view. They built 300 individual movie sets, hired 10,000 extras, 5,000 animals, 200 artists and sculptures to make all the real statues and friezes. Over a million props were created. Oh, my. 100,000 costumes, all historically accurate. 1,000 suits of armor made in Germany. Leathers were made uh, in England. Even, they even built two full-size, seaworthy Roman galleys that were 150 feet long for the, for the galley slave scenes. Oh, it's, my Lord. What, what, was the, what was the cost of that production? Do we know? The cost of the production at the time was $15 million in 1959, which translates into about $150 million today which is, you know, in line with, uh, with a mega-budget film right now. Like uh, Avengers Infinity War was about $300 million, Spider-Man No Way Home, a couple hundred million. So at the time, it was the most expensive production ever. Right, right. So you mentioned that chariot race, which is, you're right. I mean, that's one of the greatest sequences in movie-making history, no question. Um, what else can you tell me more about it? Well, the whole scene lasts nine minutes, Okay. But let me explain that the arena set is actual size. It covered 18 acres. It was based on a, on a Roman circus in Jerusalem. The straightaways are 500 yards long. It took 1,000 workmen over a year to excavate the site to create the arena out of a rock quarry. Wow. 1,000 workmen. There, there were 7,500 extras, five stories worth of grandstands, 30-foot statues. 72 horses were brought over and trained for months to, you know, to, to pull a chariot four abreast. And the actors had to learn how to drive those chariots. So the whole thing is the real, you look at it, understanding that, and you're just blown away. Wait a minute. They're, they're, so Charlton Heston didn't use a stunt double. He was actually driving the chariot? He, they use stunt doubles for the long shots, but for the close-up shots, it's Charlton Heston. Stephen Boyd, who plays his nemesis, Masala, who gets run over by the chariot. Oh, yes. He, even did his own close-up shots when the chariot was close in and, and dragging him, he wore a suit of armor underneath his costume. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's really something else when you understand all that to really appreciate the, the movie. So uh, how does this 50th anniversary Blu-ray look? It looks really good because they, uh, they spent a million dollars restoring it. There's 19,000 feet of film, you know, 250,000 individual frames. They 8K scanned it, went through frame by frame, restored it completely. So it looks like it was shot yesterday. There's virtually zero film grain. It's just brilliant. Uh, the chariot race you can see on YouTube in, in uh, high definition. So people should have a look. Just look it up on YouTube. It's fantastic. And how does the audio uh, sound on your surround system? Uh, it, it sounds good. I mean, the score is award-winning by Miklos Rosa, and the, the disc itself comes with a music-only soundtrack. So if you only want to you know, hear the music, you can put that on in the background. Wow. And what else do you get in the, in the, uh, the Blu-ray? The Blu-ray, you, the, the other thing you get is a historical uh, commentary from a film historian along with uh, Charlton Heston discussing the film, and it's quite good. All right. So don't bother waiting for the 4K. Just go out and get the... Uh... Get the Blu-ray and enjoy it now. It's a uh, it's phenomenal film. Well worth watching again and again. 
How did you order it? Uh, you can get it on Amazon and uh, and on eBay. All right. You've got one week before Good Friday, so uh, go out and order it right now. Jim, I'm going to uh, – you've got me hooked. I'm going to go uh, get myself a copy. Great oh, job, boy. as always. Okay. Happy Easter, everyone. All right. There he is, the Sofa Cinephile. First we filled your mind. Now let's twist it. This is <laughs> the Limb Riddler. All right, let's find out if the Limb Riddler is a Ben-Hur fan. Have you ever seen Ben-Hur, Limb Riddler? Oh, loved it. Just the greatest movie ever. Yeah, I remember watching it as a kid, just, just being absolutely amazed. Yeah. Seeing it in the big theater. Well, now they've just restored it, and it's apparently it looks better than uh, you know the day it was shot back in 1959. All right, the limb riddle clue for the week. Let's explain how it works quickly. Sure. Well, you're you're looking uh, for one word. There are four clues in uh, in this limb riddle that all point to the same word. Seems to be identifying different things, but that's because the word has uh, has different meanings. Actually, all the clues today are questions. And today's uh, limb riddle is called um, Foul Feels the Force. All right. The Foul Feels the Force. Let's hear it. What foul feels force fields that other foul can't? Which ancient poet has prose still extant? What if the ball falls over the wall? Who keeps things safe at the nuclear plant? All right. One more time. What foul feels force fields that other foul can't? Which ancient poet has prose still extant? What if the ball falls over the wall? Who keeps things safe at the nuclear plant? Oh, that's a, that's a tricky one. All right, so send your answer to info at limbriddles.com, info at limbriddles.com. While you're there at, in, at limbriddles.com, subscribe, that way you get the uh, clue sent to you every week right to your email inbox. It's always easier to try and solve when you have it written out in front of you rather than hearing it over the radio. But again, uh, info at limbriddles.com. Put 960 in the subject line. That way we know you heard it right here on the Richard Serrett Show at Saga 960. And be listening just before the news at 6 when I reveal the answer to this week's Limb Riddle and announce the name of the winner of the uh, the names of the winners and uh, the uh, first person with a correct answer will receive a pair of tickets to the first home game of the Mississauga Steelheads uh, quarterfinal playoff round. All right, Lim Riddle, Lim Riddler, rather. You have a a great weekend, and we'll talk again. Uh, oh, next week we're off. Next week is Good Friday. Good Friday. We'll take a week off. We'll enjoy the uh, the Masters if you get a chance to watch it on TV, Richard. That's the other good thing. Absolutely. Watch uh, Tiger Woods try and walk that four-mile course. Yikes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the Lim Riddler. Take easy. The Lim Riddler. <laughs> Solve this puzzle. The Lim Riddler. Every Friday at 4.50 on The Richard Serrett Show on Saga 960 AM. Stay with us. Hour 2 awaits. More to come. Don't go away. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. 
Welcome to Hour 2. If you missed Hour 1, you missed a lot, but it's not too late. St- still plenty of uh, great show to come. Just a reminder, before we uh, sign off today, before the news at 6, I'll reveal uh, the answer to this week's Limb Riddle and also announce the names of the winners. And the first uh, person to correctly answer this week's Limb Riddle will receive a pair of tickets to the Mississauga Steelheads uh, home game for their uh, first uh, quarterfinal playoff round. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. So, again, be sure to be listening just just before 6 o'clock. Just print them out when you get a chance. All right, uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Larry Clayman is uh, with us, author of It Takes a Counter, or It Takes a Revolution, Wake Up America. He's uh, the founder and former chairman of the successful nonprofit foundation Judicial Watch and current chairman of Freedom Watch. And we're going to talk about how the Secret Service is spending $30,000 each and every month renting out a Malibu mansion in California in order to protect their neighbor, which is President Biden's son, Hunter, who is now under federal investigation. Larry Clayman, welcome back to the program. Richard, uh, thank you. Look, good to see you. So explain how this works. Why Why is the um, Secret Service spending $30,000 a month to uh, to protect Hunter Biden in, in Malibu? Why can't they just, why can't Hunter move in back, back in with mommy and daddy at the White House? Well, it would actually be a lot cheaper if we put him in uh, Alcatraz, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, there's a they, thought. They can make a new room for him over there. Or Guantanamo, yes. Uh, Guantanamo. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what they do because they protect the family members of the president. And you're right. It's outrageous that it's in Malibu and he can protect himself. He's got millions of dollars that he got uh, via Russia, via communist China, via Ukraine before President Zelensky took over there and tried to clean out the rat's nest. It's an outrage. And the question is, who is his landlord? I mean, you know, is is he getting kickbacks on that, too, in effect? And you have to wonder somewhat facetiously, maybe the Secret Service is acting as his pimp. I don't know. You know, they were down in Colombia years ago, uh, cavorting around with prostitutes down there. I'm not trying to disparage the Secret Service, uh, but, you know, who knows what's going on over there, frankly, in, in Malibu. So is he being afforded this type of protection because he's under indictment or would he get this anyway? He would get it anyway as the president's son, you know. Regrettably, in this case, it's a waste of taxpayer money. But you you hit the nail on the head. Why thirty thousand dollars a month? I mean, he can live somewhere else. He can live more modestly. You can get an apartment in Los Angeles for two thousand dollars a month, which is pretty nice, actually. If, you know, 
go to Compton or whatever. Right. So meanwhile, he is under, he is under investigation. And uh, I don't know if the scope of this investigation is going to expand. Originally, we were told it was for, you know, some tax issues and so forth. But now, of course, since the New York Times has finally come out conveniently uh, over a year after Biden was nicely installed as president, the Times has admitted that the uh, the laptop story and the all of those emails referring to the big guy taking his cut, you know, in this in this uh, pay for play uh, scandal was was real. It's not Russian disinformation. Um, so, what, what do you what do you make of uh, of this uh, indictment? Is it likely to get in in, in into any of Joe Biden's yeah. involvement in the family yeah. business? Let's call it. It's not. I mean, the Bidens, you know, they've been well schooled by the Clintons. Okay and Obama and others, uh, even on the Republican side. The higher-ups are never held accountable in Washington, D.C. We know that. They burn a lower-level person. You can see what's happening right now with John Durham, the U.S. attorney from Connecticut, who indicted this lawyer, Michael Sussman, who was doing the bidding of Hillary Clinton. She walks off scot-free. She's even considering running for president. That's the way it works. And that's why, and I write about it in my book, It Takes a Counter-Revolution, Wake Up America, that we have the right to commission our own grand juries. Justice Antonin Scalia in 1992 in United States versus Williams wrote for the majority of the Supreme Court, the grand jury belongs to the American people, not to the three branches of government. We also have the right to try. We have a right to seek convictions. We have a right, even under the laws of citizen arrest in various states to arrest someone that we know has committed a felony. And that's what we're doing at Freedom Watch uh, we've indicted Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, and James Biden, who was also a participant. We know from the testimony of Tony Bobulinski that the big guy, Biden, was getting a 10% cut of these millions. We know from the research of Peter Schweitzer and uh, Miranda Devine, who I had on my radio show today, in her, in her book, Laptop from Hell, that this all went, or a lot of it went, to Biden himself. He's been a congressman and a senator for 47 years, is now a multimillionaire on a government salary. So does two and two equal four? Do bears in the li- live in the woods? Do fat dogs give off gas, so to speak? <laughs> you know, we know what happens. So we're going to be trying the Bidens between May 10th and 12th. We're seeking their convictions. And we're going to seek a life sentence. And we're going to ask law enforcement and the military to carry it out to enforce how, it. How does a citizen grand jury work, Larry? Well, we've done it. I mean, we get citizens, we make them take an oath. They have to fill out a questionnaire that they've not been convicted of a felony. They have to swear to be fair and open and judge on the evidence, not, you know, on some uh, predilection. And then they pass upon whether uh, there's probable cause to bring criminal charges. And we brought criminal charges under laws of bribery and uh, of treason. I mean, this, this is treasonous, in effect. And it's not just the bribery, it's language and homicide in Afghanistan where Biden killed seven young children because he wanted to look tough after uh, 13 servicemen were killed at the Kabul airport. He didn't know who he sent a drone attack on and it was, it was negligence at a minimum. So he's being tried for that too. And we also then have the right, as we did, uh, even before we had a Justice Department on July 1st, 1870, to meet out the law ourselves. In fact, even in our Declaration of Independence, Richard, it says, when in the course of human events, the sovereign no longer represents the people, that the founders had a right to declare independence under the laws of nature and nature's God, not the law of the state, 
and not the law of the king. We have no choice in this country. We've now seen it now for decades that the beautiful people of Washington, D.C., of course, they're not that beautiful. They say Washington is Hollywood for ugly people, but they walk around as if they're above the law. They know they're above the law, raking in money, hand over fist, both political parties, and they're not held accountable. And that's why someone like Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and James Biden and the Biden family can do what they do because they know they'll never be held to account. Now, to the extent there's a grand jury investigation going on in Delaware, that'll end with a whimper, 100%. They'll plead him, you know, he'll be charged with one count of some legal violation of maybe not paying his taxes. He'll get a slap on the wrist and he'll get probation and that'll be it. That'll be the whole deal. Because that U.S. attorney knows that if he brings any significant charges against Hunter Biden, or for that matter, Joe Biden, he will have no political future uh, to speak of left. He won't be appointed for any other position. They'll find a way to drum him out. They'll set him up. He might wind up getting indicted. That's the way it works. It's mutual assured destruction. So again, with the citizens um, grand jury, does it have the power the, the, to subpoena? Yes, we have, we have the total power. We, the people have the power. These, we grant a power to the Congress, to the executive branch, and to the courts to carry out our will. And when they fail to do that, then we have to do it ourselves. And, you know, when January 6th was mostly peaceful, but it was Jefferson who said, and I dedicate my book, It Takes a Counter-Revolution, Wake Up America. You can get it at freedomwatchusa.org or online at amazon.com and all the other booksellers. But Jefferson said, with regard to federal judges, who he was against as unelected, unaccounted for, there for life, he said they would become despots and tyrants, causing us to shed the blood of patriots and tyrants yet again every 20 years or so. He didn't want to see violence, neither do I, neither do you. But this is a reality. That was the first manifestation of what Jefferson was talking about on January 6th, when the people, mostly peaceful, went into the Capitol in protest. That was the beginning of a revolution. They've seen just how corrupt this government is. They've seen how the courts wouldn't even allow President Trump to have a hearing, a legitimate hearing. His own Supreme Court justices wouldn't allow it because they're part of the establishment. They're part of the crowd. And as a result of that, we, the American people, are at a crossroads, just like we were in 1776. When you don't have rulers who represent you, your only choice is to mete out justice yourself and to form a new government. And that's what we've been working on at Freedom Watch, and that's what we talk about. It's what I write about, and it takes a counter-revolution, Wake Up America. You know, Mark Levin, I bought his book, too. Mark's a bright guy. I know Mark. But we already know there's American Marxism. We didn't need to have him tell us that. And his solution is, let's just protest and boycott. No, that's not enough. We've tried that. We need to take our legal system back to enforce the law ourselves. And we need to declare independence, not a new nation, but a new government with new leaders, new political parties. We need to, in effect, refresh this country in the vision of our founding fathers. It's now in control of the left. They have a virtual dictatorship over us the radical socialists, the radical communists, the radical atheists, radicals of all groups have taken total control through their stooges, Biden and Harris, Pelosi and Schumer, 
The Republican Party sit there going on Fox News, smiling because they're happy the country is in the shape it's in because they think that's going to get them back into power. But when they've been in power, what have they done? They didn't balance the budget. They didn't reform Obamacare. They didn't give us clarion calls on Afghanistan and now Ukraine when they were getting national security briefings. And even if they regain control of Congress in the fall, we have Biden for another three years. We can't exist another three years with this brain dead moron criminal as president. We have to find a legal way to get rid of him. All right. Larry Clayman is uh, the author of It Takes a Counter-Revolution, Wake Up America. You can get that at um, freedomwatch.org, freedomwatch.org on Amazon. Larry, always appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. God bless. God bless. All right. When we come back, the accidental and unofficial COVID-19 data analyst, Kelly Brown, will be here to tell us about the top 10 insurance companies that are reporting they've suffered excess mortality disability losses totaling around $3 billion. What's that all about? He'll tell us when we come back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Welcome back. It's interesting how a lot of the information regarding adverse events, excess deaths, where is it coming from? It's coming from insurance companies. You'll recall uh, back in February, there was a, um, a board member for a Bavarian insurer, BKK Provida. They have something like 120,000 uh, customers. And they're, in fact, uh, they're uh, in turn part of a larger consortium affiliated with other German companies. They have a total of 10.9 million customers. So the board member with BKK Provida, Andreas Schaffbeck, he decided to, to look in, into the data, millions of insured individuals in the group, millions. And his results concluded that COVID-19 vaccine side effects are far greater than is being reported by the German federal agency and medical uh, regulatory body, which is called the Paul Ehrlich Institute. I believe uh, Andreas Schaffbeck was uh, later released of his duties, relieved of his duties after coming forward. And that story was published in a major German newspaper. A couple of weeks ago, we had Edward Dowd on the program, former Blacklock, a Blackrock, sorry, a portfolio manager, still works uh, on Wall Street. And he and a an yet unnamed insurance analyst poured over CDC data, and what did they discover? Excess deaths among the various cohorts. Well, let's look at millennials. He, he described what happened to millennials in terms of excess deaths as, as being a Vietnam-era event. There were 59,000 U.S. service members who were killed during, uh, what, 10 years of the uh, U.S. involvement in Vietnam. But in about a year, there were 60,000 excess deaths just among millennials. That can't be explained by COVID. Or even opioid uh, overdoses and things associated with the lockdown. There has to be something else going on. And Edward Dowd referred to this data from the CDC as the smoking gun. Now, 
We're going to look at some data coming from top 10 or the 10 top insurance companies in the U.S. who have likewise suffered excess mortality disability losses, totaling something like $3 billion in the U.S. divisions. Here to explain is Kelly Brown, independent investor with Rubicon Capital and the accidental and unofficial COVID-19 data analyst. Kelly, welcome back. Hey, nice to speak with you today. Likewise. Uh, so this uh, this data from these insurance companies, is this um, something that you've sort of looked into or is someone else reporting on this? Where is this information coming from? This is data that I've aggregated from the company filings uh, of, of these 10 publicly traded insurance companies. So this is a this was a manual process to pull out the dollar amounts of losses uh, that the that executives from these companies have identified as being directly or indirectly related to to COVID. And um, this what we've known so far is that these loss rates you know, as, as Edward Down and others have pointed out, that we, we've known now that these loss rates um, have increased. But what I wanted to do is actually quantify it and, and total up, take 10 of the top companies and total up the, the losses just to get a sense of the magnitude. And in the, in the, the second half of 2021, uh, that number is about 1.5 billion per quarter, 3 billion for half the year. Oh, for half the year. Okay, so just so we're, we're clear on what we're discussing here. These, these insurance companies are paying out uh, benefits uh, to uh, death benefits. They're also paying out uh, benefits to people who have been disabled. And it's in this particular uh, time. Now, did, did this time period coincides with lockdowns and vaccine rollouts and that sort of thing? That's correct. It's It's the... The vaccine rollout was in the first half of the year, uh, and we're discussing these results in the in the second half of the year. And so, what what the 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 numbers that we're talking about are what what uh, these companies will do is they'll they'll tell investors, uh, you know, what portion of their net income and their results were affected by COVID related claims. So they're they're pulling those results out so that investors can see what the earnings would have been otherwise. And each company's done this. So you can go through one by one and total up the amount that these companies have identified as having been paid in the quarter for COVID-related claims, both mortality and short and long-term uh, disability. Right. And this is what's called excess mortality and excess disability, which would be above and beyond what you would normally expect. Like there's a baseline year over year over year. You'll see an X number of mortalities and an X number of disability. There'll be some variance from year to year, uh, but not substantial. But now we're seeing far greater excess deaths, far greater excess disabilities. And these insurance companies, of course, are having to pay. And that's resulting in uh, losses or it's not necessarily losses, but it's obviously affecting their bottom line. That's correct. The, these companies are large and well diversified. So they are able to absorb these losses so far in the short term. Uh, it's This is more of a sort of, so it's not a risk necessarily for the solvency of insurance companies right. in the industry, but it is a bit of a canary in the coal mine. It's a real clue. Um, 
Sorry, Kelly, I'm just going to jump in here. We'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, discuss further. Kelly Brown is an uh, independent investor with Rubicon Capital. You can follow him on Twitter at Rubicon Capital underscore, at Rubicon Capital underscore. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Stay with us. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Just a reminder, Greg Carrasco, host of The Greg Carrasco Show, will be here next uh, uh, in a few minutes, actually, and you can hear Greg every Saturday morning, 8 to 11 on Saga 960. And uh, it's a little segment we call There's Something Happening Here. Greg is always full value and a lot of fun. Right now, Kelly Brown stays with us, and he's an independent investor with Rubicon Capital, the accidental and unofficial COVID-19 data analyst. Follow him on Twitter, at Rubicon Capital underscore. We're talking about these uh, 10... Uh, top insurance companies in the U.S. that suffered uh, some losses due to having to pay out uh, benefits due to excess mortality and disability uh, claims. Totaling, was it around $3 billion in total across the 10 insurance companies? That's correct. And interestingly, right. $2 billion of that was in the, the group uh, or workplace insurance, which, which is covering people working age 65 and below. Ah, okay. Well, that's that's important to know because I was that was my next question. If we're able to, uh, if we have any data on these these cohorts, because as I was mentioning uh, in conversation with uh, Edward Dowd, um, he was talking about millennials suffering sixty thousand excess deaths. Millennials, uh, you know, that's not one of the vulnerable groups in terms of COVID. Some of it we can attribute to COVID. Some of it we might be able to attribute to uh, some let's call it collateral damage because of the lockdowns, people that are uh, suffering mental health issues and, and um, opioid abuse and so forth. Um, do we have any way of knowing uh, these excess deaths and disabilities, how much of that could be attributed to COVID or sort of the collateral damage of the lockdowns? You know, it, it, it's really tough. I mean, this is, we are dealing with a bit of a black box here. Uh, and actually, I'll mention some data that I'm going to put up on Twitter shortly here. We've gotten recent uh, excess mortality statistics for Canada and in working age populations, similar to what Ed Dowd has presented in the U.S. that you were just talking about. And uh, Richard, it shows the same story. We're seeing persistent excess mortality in 44 and younger ages uh, through to the end of October. Now, if you look at, if you separate 2020 and 2021, in excess mortality in these younger ages was occurring in 2020, and uh, but very little COVID in deaths in that group. So you could say, okay, look, most of that, almost all of it, is going to be is going to be lockdown related. You saw that trail off heading into 2021. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. 
tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. But now it's elevated again. Uh, so it's and it's not it's a correlation, not necessarily causation, but it's it's certainly following the rollout of the vaccine program. So stay tuned for that data. I'm going to I'm going to publish that on Twitter soon. Right. Well, that, that's also significant. You mentioned because uh, deaths are supposed to be going down from COVID. These are less vir- less deadly variants, that, Omicron and, and so forth. That's correct. Uh, so so we're, that's correct. So we're sort of piecing together a bit of a mosaic here with some imperfect information. We're saying, you know, we're looking at life insurance companies whose bread and butter, the way they make money is they price risk and death rates year in, year out. Uh, especially, you know, among younger ages, group group insurance rates, they don't change much year to year. And so to be seeing orders of magnitude uh, differences and increases in loss ratios, uh, that's, as you say, that some of that can be expected from COVID-related deaths, some can be due to lockdown, uh, but it doesn't make sense with younger working age populations to see be seeing such spikes in mortality disability, short and long-term disability claims in, in younger ages in the second half of the year, given, you know, more, uh, less lethal variants and miracle vaccines. It's just, it's, it, it, we don't know how to explain it. Now, interestingly, what the other point that I made in that tweet is we've got the Q1 uh, reporting is coming up for these insurance companies that uh, for the quarter ended March. Uh, that starts in a couple of weeks, and we're going to get another set of ten data points uh, for these ten public insurance companies to see what were their loss, what were their dollar amounts of losses uh, in the first quarter. Uh, we're going to get the loss ratios, and and we're going to get the commentary. So there's ten insurance company CEO executives that get up and give commentary uh, on their earnings calls, and and we're going to get a lot of interesting data there, and we're going to get some outlook. So if you if we hear that you know, these, if we hear that the outlook, what they're seeing in terms of current claims that they're processing and what they pu- they processed in Q1 are now going down and are expected to stay down, well, then we'll have some clarity. But if they're, if they're saying they're still seeing persistently high rates, that'll be troubling. So we'll be watching this really closely in Q1. Right. Well, we had that, uh, the German uh, member, board member from the German insurance company in Bavaria yeah. uh, who spoke out. Um, I mean, this is just a, a hypothetical question, but I'm, I'm wondering how long it'll be before someone in a North American insurance company sort of, well, we know one did with uh, Edward Dowd, but when, when will one come forward and speak publicly about these excess deaths? That's, I guess that's the big uh, Lollapalooza, Lollapalooza well, question. It's a great question, but they, they are like, they are, they are speaking about it, but they're, they are attributing these these deaths to COVID uh, and non-COVID or indirect, directly or indirectly related to COVID nineteen. They they are speaking about it, but I'm just not sure. Uh, and and if and if they have any idea of the the coding that they're getting uh, on these these claims, um, you know, they're they're they've just been saying directly and indirect. So. Um, well, the interesting thing about the German company that you mentioned is they actually had detailed billing codes from from doctors' offices, and they were able to to, to say that these were um, that these Ad- were vaccine related. Right, adverse events. We're not getting 
uh, at least that's not being publicly disclosed, we're not getting that billing level detail. Public companies don't have to disclose that level of detail in their earnings calls. So we'll see if they, if, you know, it's up to them whether they want to start to get detailed, you know, with their shareholders, right? And, and certainly public company CEOs and board members, you know, if they're seeing these kinds of losses, they have a duty to their shareholders to investigate this type of stuff, especially if it's this far you know, out of the range and, and perhaps they can't attribute it all to just COVID. So it'll be interesting. Great work, Kelly, pulling all this together. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Richard. Kelly Brown, independent investor with Rubicon Capital. Follow him on Twitter at Rubicon Capital uh, underscore at Rubicon Capital underscore. All right, Greg Carrasco next. Stay with us. Just having a little chinwag on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Something's happening here. Hey, welcome back. We always look forward to a visit from Greg Carrasco, host of The Greg Carrasco Show, heard Saturdays, 8 to 11 a.m. here on Saga 960. Greg, welcome back. How are you? Very well, Richard. How are you? It always cracks me up when I hear there's something happening here, sound bit. (laughs) That's your your theme song, you know, like when Bob Hope used to walk out on uh, the, The Tonight Show. I'm dating myself. On The Tonight Show, they would play Thanks for the Memories. That's your version of Thanks for the Memories. You know, it's, it's become a thing, uh, you know, people that, who don't know my name, they will say, well, that's just something happening here, guy. That's great. Thanks. <laughs> What's coming up on the show tomorrow morning? You know, tomorrow morning, we're going to take a deep dive in what people are going to be seeing in car dealership in this new reality that uh, society has gone under. You know, phenomena that we have never seen in our lifetime. And after 30 years in the car industry, Richard, I, I can't tell you that I've ever seen a seller's market. Uh, car dealerships today are turning down business uh, because wow. simply they don't have cars. And um, the whole notion of negotiation is, is gone. So people can, know, uh, can no longer negotiate whenever they're buying a new or a used vehicle anymore. I don't know if you've, uh, if, if you've been following what's happening in the car industry for the last little bit. Oh, yeah, uh, a little bit. I mean, I'm not in the market at the moment, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Let me ask you about uh, electric vehicles. Are you bullish on on EVs? Absolutely not. I believe that is uh, it's all a, a political move by by the government to convince people, or at least try to the ones that are not thinking very deep, that uh, they want to save the environment. When the reality is that uh, there is no infrastructure ever planned by the government other than just give rebates to multinational corporations that will benefit the uh, only the uh, the super re- the super rich. Electronic electric vehicles do not affect the common man right now. No, but, but uh, the liberals want to mandate car companies to sell X percentage uh, of all of their vehicles have to be electric. So, you know, this is perfect communist central planning, right? Yep. The liberal government is going to tell you, you have to sell a certain percentage of the, all of the vehicles you sell have to be EVs. How is that going to impact the industry? How is that going to impact uh, dealerships? It's, it's a pipe dream. It will never happen. Um, you know, just to give you an example, if you have a condo downtown with, um, you know, a, a thousand units, uh, are you going to have a thousand charges to charge a thousand cars that are going to load up the grid? 
I don't think so. So the government is, is selling somebody, uh, you know, people that believe in this stuff, a pipe dream that will never be a reality. The infrastructure that we have here, at least in Ontario and across the country is non-existent. In fact, um, they did a study in California that almost 30% of all the people that are buying electric vehicles after the first three years, they're going right back to the internal combustion engines because they're useless. Right. I mean, once the battery goes, you've got a, you've got a white elephant basically, right? You, you do. And I mean, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a hundred thousand dollars to save um, uh, a few um, pennies on gas. Like really? Who's, who's doing the math here? <laughs> Right. Does does Nissan and um, Infinity uh, do they have an EV product they, yet? They do. In fact, Nissan uh, was the first car manufacturer on the planet that had a fully electric vehicle in mass production. It's, it was called the Nissan Leaf. It came oh, yes. out in two thousand and eight. And in fact, until the year 2020, the Nissan Leaf was the biggest selling singular electric vehicle sold on the planet. That hmm. was literally just taken over by Tesla last year. Um, and what, what was the demand? Did you sell many of those? Mm, no, we didn't. And uh, the, the main issue is pricing. You see, the, the electric vehicle, until there is a, a mass adoption of electric vehicles, the economies of scales simply don't work. It doesn't make sense for car manufacturers to be producing this. And Governments are pushing car manufacturers to produce more electric vehicles, but they have nothing in the back end to support the usage of that electric vehicle. And, uh, and that's where the problem lies. We have no way to charge these things. So, you know, if you anyone that tells you uh, that they don't suffer range anxiety whenever they drive an electric vehicle, they've never driven one or they don't understand what it does to you. Every time you turn the radio up or the windows down, your range keeps going down and down and down and down. So, you know, it doesn't matter what you do inside the vehicle, you lose kilometers. And that that is a real problem. Ah, it's like me. I'm always driving in the reserve tank. I'm always pushing it. How far can I go? How far can I go? It's like Russian roulette with the reserve tank. And, and uh, what about uh, starting these vehicles at like minus 30? You're living in Winnipeg, middle of winter, trying to turn over an EV in the middle of winter. How, uh, do you have any reports on how they perform in the cold? Well, I can tell you this, that the, the range is severely reduced by um, cold temperatures. Let me give you an example. I, I was driving an electric vehicle just for my own personal curiosity and as a case study for the show. And uh, the, the range that it gave me was 350 kilometers. Um, by the time I made it to the other side of the city, which I was driving from Oakville to Georgina, um, I had only 90 kilometers left. So, you know, the distance between here and Georgina was only 105 kilometers. So the range was so completely inaccurate and a lot of it was driven by the temperature. You know, the heat was up, uh, batteries do not perform well under cold load. And that uh, has a huge impact on, the, on, on your range, on your vehicle for sure. All right. So we'll look forward to uh, the Greg Carrasco show tomorrow morning, eight to 11. It's, uh, it's worth uh, waking up for. Greg, always appreciate uh, you coming by. Thank you. Thank you so much, Richard. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. When we come back, my guys, Jacob and Brandon, co-hosts of The Swing, will talk a little baseball, the Jays' home opener tonight, and a little hockey, Matthews, breaking the Leafs' single-season scoring record last night. Back with more right after these. Something's happening here. Let's rejoin the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. 
All right, just trying to figure out what the... Uh, it looks like it's clearing up a little bit, but I'm up here in Thornhill, so I don't know uh, whether we're looking at roof open or roof closed for the Jays home opener tonight against the Texas Rangers. Brandon DuPont and, and uh, Jacob Goldback, co-hosts of The Swing, heard Mondays at 3 p.m. right here on Saga 960. Brandon, uh, Jacob, have you heard? Is it going to be a roof open or roof, roof closed? Probably closed. It's it's yeah. pretty cold out there. That would be that would be. I think that would be if you have the roof and it's you know it's probably like seven eight degrees outside. That that's cold. True, true. I uh, you've you've seen it on YouTube, uh, but I remember watching on TV the Jays' very first home opener back in 1977, and it was snowing, and uh, uh, so we don't have to worry about that anymore now with the uh, with the Rogers Center. They made some big improvements. Um, you're going. I know you're not going tonight, uh, Brandon, but you're going to go. I think uh, on tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. So have you have you seen anything? Uh, new turf or what, what? What have they done? To- yeah. So apparently they've uh, have they've installed new turf uh, as well as a uh, new scoreboard in uh, in center field. Um, and um, I'm missing one. Oh, and a new sound system. That's right. Okay. They got bigger plans though, right? Because they're 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 uh, well, they're going to remodel. It's it's going to it's not a permanent fix, but it's just to last until they build a new stadium, right? Yeah, yeah. Apparently, I don't know how how uh, the plans for a new stadium would work out. I think the stadium they say, currently yeah. have is fairly new. I don't know why they would need a new stadium. Well, but... no, it's not. That, it's not really it, uh, the stadium's in, not in the best shape, and it's overall like in terms of a baseball stadium, it's not a very good baseball stadium. No, it's, it's horrible. It was. It's it was. It was cool at the start, and it's kind of at this point, it's really gimmicky, and no one really likes it. The problem is, it's it's the only place you can really like. The location's great. Like if you're talking about locations in terms of baseball stadiums, like you know, if you go to a lot of other, you know, like Mets. City Field, for example, is, is is in the suburbs. Like a lot of stadiums are in the suburbs. So that's the one thing the Rogers Center has going for it. And why I just don't see them building a completely new stadium anytime soon is because of how accessible it is. Right. Well, it's uh, it's 33 years old. Uh, building, was it built in time for the 89 season? I think so. Yes, I believe that was the first. I should know this because my mom worked there. <laughs> right. I think it was 89. Yeah. It, what a boondoggle that was from beginning to end in terms of, you know, budgeting and, and, and so forth. And, and then Ted Rogers swoops in and buys it for, you know, like fire sale prices after the, the taxpayers paid for it. Uh, but it was, you know what, it was behind, it was, it was obsolete the moment they built it. If you look at what other parks were doing in the United States around that same time, like Pilot Field in Buffalo uh, that they built for the Bisons. I don't know what they call it now. It used to be called Pilot Field. It was it was a like Comerica Park in Detroit, mm-hmm. and uh, the 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 um, is a PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Yeah, correct. You know, built with beautiful bricks and and, and wrought iron, and built uh, sort of as a tribute almost to the heyday, the golden era of baseball, the 1920s and 30s. Beautiful edifices. This thing from the beginning was built as a multi-purpose. Um, center so that they could have their monster truck races and they could have their conventions and it was it was ugly from day one and it was behind the curve it was it was that's not what the trend was in the United States in terms of building ballparks so once again Canada like 30 years behind the curve as always I can't wait to see that thing demolished frankly it was was better than exhibition stadium no 
Um, yes, yes, it was. I mean, that looked like a, it was, you know, a temporary structure, uh, like most things that we build in Canada. I don't know who our architects are. You know, they were subjected to these edifices that, that, uh, that we have to live with for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and they're soul-destroying. It's, it's just a soul-destroying looking structure. However, the players, let's talk about the players. This is exciting uh, because the, Bla the Blue Jays uh, have done a wonderful job putting this team together. Um, so what do, you, what do you like, what do you see for the Jays this year? Do you wanna, do you wanna give me a, a prediction on their record for this year, wins, losses? Sure. Uh, I'll say they win 97 games. And I think the main group to look out for, and I think, you know, everyone talks about how dangerous the lineup is, but it really is the starting rotation that when you look at it compared to the start of last year, last season, they went into it with Tanner Rourke and, and, and uh, I, I'm blanking uh, uh, TJ Zoic. Those two were in the starting rotation. And now You've got a, you know, one through five. It's a really, really complete rotation. This front office has done a tremendous job with building a good starting pitching rotation with depth. This is going to be the group that propels them forward because they're going to be getting consistent, good starting pitching every single day. Jacob, Brandon, sorry, Brandon. Um, yeah, no, uh, it starts tonight. I mean, Jacob just mentioned a complete uh, starting rotation. Uh, tonight, Jose Barrios gets uh, gets the start, and uh, obviously he's been locked down long term. And I think that was a great deal because coming from the Twins last season, I thought he, he did a did a fabulous job uh, coming into the squad. And I think that'll continue. Um, for me, I see this team. I'm very very confident in this team. I think they go very far. I would say they'd go probably all the way to uh, I would say at minimum the 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 uh, the conf the ALCS the conference series. Um, so I'm going to give them a hundred plus wins. So I'm going to say, I'm going to give them 105 wins. 105. It's a wow. lot, Brandon. You got like, you know, Brandon, there's still there. There's other good teams in the division. I understand too. there's other good teams, that's, that's but I'm very confident in this team. You gave, wow. oh, sorry. So how many wins did you give them? 97. Again? 97. Yeah. I'm going to say okay. 93. I'm going to say 93 and I'm going to make a prediction. They're going to win a lot of ugly games and it's going to be based. They're going to win based on their bats. It's like the Jays with uh, with the Leafs with their goaltending. They have to win, you know, games seven to six and six to five. And I think the Jays are going to win a lot of ugly games this year. Uh, you know, the pitching staff. Let's see, um, Manoa will he be struck with a sophomore jinx? I hope not. Uh, but you know, uh, a half a season is not a you know an indicator of you know where he's going necessarily. Uh, will he stay healthy? Um, Ryu, Ryu was kind of went south last year in the last half true, of the season. Very true. You know, is he going to be able to, to to turn things around? I don't know. I I think they're going to rely a lot on their bats this year. What do you think of this uh, this new catcher, Gabriel Moreno? Uh, he's not necessarily uh, you know getting the hype that Vladimir Guerrero uh, getting. No one will probably in a Jays uniform for the foreseeable future. But uh, Moreno, you know, he's he's uh, basically been scouted. He was higher ranking than uh, Bichette. Yeah, well, I mean, it would surprise me if we see Moreno at all on the team this year. But uh, going forward, he has got a tremendous, and he is kind of similar to Vlad. He's got a very comparable hitting tool. The guy just absolutely rakes 
at the dish. And obviously there are some things that need to be worked out. Obviously you would want to see him strike out a little bit less, but for a player that young, those are things that develop over time. His bat to ball skills are absolutely tremendous. And when you factor in that he is a catcher, that is a premium position. When you have a guy who can hit as well as he can and is a catcher, that's a really valuable player going forward. I, I, I think he'll be up before the summer. We'll see. Uh, we're out of time. We'll uh, we'll talk about Austin Matthews on Monday. Let's see if he can score 50 and 50 tonight against the Habs. He's already broken the Leafs' single-season scoring record, so uh, it'll be exciting to watch tonight. Brandon, Jacob, thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks Richard. And now, your Lim Riddler answer and this week's winners. <laughs> I almost booted it and forgot, just like last week. All right. Uh, what foul feels force fields that other foul can't? Which ancient poet has prose still extant? What if the ball falls over the wall? Who keeps things safe at the nuclear plant? And the answer is Homer. Homer Simpson, of course, at the nuclear plant. If a ball falls over the wall, that's a home run. What foul feels force fields? That's a homing pigeon. What ancient poet has prose still extant? That's Homer. The answer is Homer. And uh, the winners, the first five to answer are... Well, the winner of the Steelhead tickets is Barbara McHuffin. Barbara McHuffin. And uh, other honorable mentions go to Duncan Ruxton of Thunder Bay. Barbara McHuffin, I just mentioned, she's in Toronto. Uh, Sandra Stewart in Oakville. John Moffat in, in Moose Brum, Austria. And Bill Heller in Edinburgh, Texas. Uh, good luck with the Rangers tonight, Bill. Ha! All right. Congratulations all. All right, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, Brandon, and Declan. I'll be back next week to do it all over again. God willing, be well, find joy, hold fast, be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you Monday at 4. Don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you Monday afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.